Harper Lee in the book To Kill a Mockingbird, which many of you probably read somewhere along the high school or college line, said this, you can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That's true for all of us. We don't get to choose what family we're born into. We can choose the people that hang around us. Now, as we have looked over the last few weeks at the life of Joseph, we find that Joseph grew up in a very dysfunctional type family. If you think that your family dynamic might be a little bit weird, well, let's just hold it up in comparison with Joseph. Joseph's father is Jacob. Jacob, after fleeing from his brother Esau, has moved down and he met Laban and fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. That was his younger daughter. And as he falls in love with this girl, Laban makes a deal with with Jacob that says, if you'll work for seven years, then you can have my daughter as your wife. He works for seven years and they go through a marriage ceremony and she has the veil over her face. And the next morning after the wedding, woohoo, they pull the veil up and Laban has given his daughter Leah, the older daughter, to Jacob, not Rachel, the younger daughter. So... This is how the madness begins in, in Joseph's family. After that, then Jacob uh, says, look, I really want Rachel to be my wife. And so they work out. And so Rachel becomes his wife as well. And he has to work for seven more years. So he is married to sisters. And that obviously kind of brings a, a weird dynamic to all of this. But then family starts to grow. Leah has four boys. Rachel is barren. She can't have any children. So what she does is in order to offer some boys, which were the prized son possession of the family, she offered her maiden Bilhah to Jacob so that she could count those boys of her maiden or her servant as hers. And Bilhah has two. Well, Leah sees that Bilhah, Rachel's servant, has had two kids, so she offers her servant, Zilpah, and that lady has two. Then Leah has two more. So Jacob has ten sons from three different women, and then finally, Rachel has two children. Now, Rachel is the wife that Jacob really loves the most. It was the one that that he really thought he was working for. She has two sons. The older's name is Joseph, and the younger's name, uh, younger son's name is Benjamin. So it is from this family dynamic itself that we find that Joseph comes into this family life. Now, you remember, Joseph was hated by his brothers, Why? Partly because he was the son of the beloved Rachel. He was given a robe to show that he was going to be favored as a son. This was an ornamental robe so that he probably didn't have to go outside and work as hard as his 10 older brothers. He got to hang around the house and probably had a much easier existence. And it's like, dad, you're much tougher on us than you are on Joseph. And there's 
favoritism and there's doting and then there's this sense of of anger and hatred toward Joseph. So Joseph's brothers then, when they had the opportunity, decide they were going to kill him. Then they decided not to kill him, but to sell him as a slave in Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. He becomes a slave at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife lies and says that Joseph is, is coming on to her when she, in fact, was the one doing and coming on to Joseph. Lies about him. He's thrown in prison. And there, Joseph in prison, after a period of time, he interprets two dreams, the dream of a butler and the dream of a baker. The butler is restored to his job with the Pharaoh, and Joseph has one request of this butler— Please do not forget me. And two years have gone, uh, two years went by, and Joseph was completely forgotten about. After two years, Pharaoh had a dream. There was going to be seven good years of crops and, and uh, wealth and prosperity, followed by seven years of famine. Joseph interprets those dreams. He has a dream about cows and a dream about stalks of grain, but he interprets and says, Look, you're going to have seven really good years, then seven really bad years. And now, after, after uh, interpreting the dreams, Joseph is second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He became the number two man in Egypt when he was about 30 years old. The seven years of prosperity have gone by. Now we're probably in year, uh, he's probably 38 years old or so after the seven good years. He's probably 38 years or so, and now there's going to be a reunion. His brothers are going to come back into his life. He has not seen them since he was 17 years old. The last time he saw his brothers, they were selling him as a slave to be carried down to Egypt. And now, though they do not know it, they are going to come face to face with the very one that they have rejected and betrayed. So take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 42. And if you have your Bible, keep it open. We're going to be looking actually from chapter 42 to 45. We've got a long passage to cover today. We're going to jump in and, and move quickly. Genesis chapter 42. Pick up in, in verse number one. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. They've had seven good years. Now the bad years are beginning. There's a famine in the land. Jacob sends his 10 sons, but he does not send the other son of Rachel, Benjamin. He does not send him. It says, verse 5, And the sons of Israel went to, get, to buy grain among those who, were, uh, who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? And would you move in our hearts? Lord, for those that uh, are dealing with difficulty in past relationships, I pray that you would speak. 
for those of us who really, God, just need to be challenged in our display of love and affection, would you speak and challenge all of us today? In your name, amen. There are times that love has to be tough. Joseph, the last time he saw his brothers, he was 17 years old, and they sold him as a slave down to the Egyptians. And now it is some 20 years later, and now his brothers have come back on the scene. There's the famine that has started through the land of Egypt and to the north in the land of Canaan, where his family dwells. And his father says, well, you guys need, I've heard there's grain down in Egypt. You guys need to go down there and get some. And there, Joseph, as those 10 boys come back, he recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. When we think about love that is tough, we think about love that often has to be somewhat stern and firm, sometimes having to say no to someone's desires. When we're in a relationship with someone, and we're especially in a dating relationship with someone, what we want to do during that time is, is we want to examine, we kind of put their life through little tests. We may not write everything down, but, but through little tests, we begin to think, how does this person treat other people? How does this guy treat his, his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters? How does this girl react when we're at a restaurant and, and the waitress is a little bit slow? How, how does this guy react when he's around my family and around my friends? How does she react when everything doesn't go her way? So the picture is, is in a relationship, we're watching, we're examining and looking and thinking, is this the right person for me? We're setting up little tests. As parents, we, we look at our children and, and especially as they get older into their, their teen years and especially as they begin to drive. We get in the car with them and, and we ride with them in the car and we make sure that they understand the responsibility that comes with driving a car. And, and we watch them and we uh, watch them how they're steering. We're watching how, how careful they are. We're examining them and before we let them go to get their license, we, we want to feel confident that, that they are passing that test of responsibility and readiness in our own life. Joseph, as he looks at his brothers, has to come to this point of examining their life to see if they are ready, to see how God has worked in their life, if they're ready to rekindle and restart a relationship with him. Are they the same old selfish, mean, unkind guys that were there 20 years ago? Or has God worked in their life through this time and, and changed and brought about a sense of, of change in them? Have they matured or are they still immature and are they still angry? So what Joseph does through this passage is Joseph begins to examine the life of these boys his brothers, and put them to the test. See, true love, when it comes down to it, uh, our tough love, when it comes down to it, examines the heart. Tough love is going to examine the heart. Tough love looks and says, you know, uh, this person might be pretty, but are they kind? This person uh, might might look like they're very popular, but but how do they treat other people? And so Joseph, as he looks at the life of his brothers, he thinks, if I'm going to restart this relationship, what do I need to see in them? So Joseph gives them 
three rounds of tests that we look at from Genesis chapter 42 through 44. And then the climax is in Genesis chapter 45. But let's think about these tests. And let's think about Joseph as he requires his brothers to, test, to pass these tests. The first test is, is he wants to know where's their heart. Where's their heart? What's going on in their life? Has anything changed in their life? So they come down to Egypt. And if you look in Genesis chapter 42 and verse number seven, Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. But notice in verse number six, they have bowed before him. That's the promise of Genesis 37. But they, Joseph recognizes them. And notice it says that he spoke roughly to them. There's the harsh treatment test. Joseph treats them harshly. He speaks to them sternly. Maybe at this point, as he sees his brothers, he remembers all the hurt and the pain and the rejection. So he disguises his voice some, or maybe there is a sense of, man, I'm really going to test these guys. So he speaks sternly to them and he says, who are you guys? And they say, look, man, we're just coming for food. We're, we're 10 brothers and, and we're here for food. No, you're not. You're spies. And so he takes the all 10 of those boys, and he throws them in jail for three days. And he says, I'm going to send one of you back for your younger brother. You said you have 12 boys and one's no more and and one's still with his father. I'm going to send one of you back. And then after three days, he lets them out of prison and he holds on to one, Simeon, and he is going to let the other 10 go free. There's this harsh treatment that that he pushes them and says, what's going on? Why are you here? And he's questioning their motives and he wants to see what's going on in their heart. But notice he sees what's going on in their heart. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 42 and verse number 21. As Joseph has spoken harshly, it says that these brothers said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of you. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So what happens is, is these guys, after they, they get some harsh treatment, they're looking at each other after getting out of jail and they're saying, man, we're being punished for what we did to Joseph. 20 plus years later, we can't forget his pleading. Oh, brothers, don't sell me as a slave. Come on, guys, I won't worry about the coat. Guys, please. They can't forget that in their ears. They can't forget that picture in their mind. And they're saying, look, we are facing this because of Joseph. So the test was given, the harsh test, and the result is conviction. They feel convicted about what they did to their brother. Why did we ever do this to him? Have you ever read Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart? The Telltale Heart, he sees the old man with the blue eye, with the film over it. And every time the eye looks at him, it just creeps him out. And so he takes the man's life. And he hides his body under the panels of the floor. And the police come and they talk to him and question him. And he feels like, man, I'm, I'm working through this really good. I'm talking to him. Everything's fine. But they keep talking and they keep talking and they keep talking. And then louder, 
louder, louder. It says this, this heart is coming and beating and he can't shake the, shake the sound of it. And he finally says, look, it's me. I've done it. I've killed this man. And he's under this, his body or under the planks. That's the picture of these brothers. You just wonder for 20 years when anything went wrong in their life, did they say, man, we shouldn't have done that to Joseph. But here in this instance, they are reminded what we did to our brother. There's the harsh treatment test. Joseph then holds on to Simeon, keeps him confined. He puts all their money for the grain back in their sack and he sends them back up to their father with this one condition that next time you come, you have to bring Benjamin. So they go back. They explain to their father, dad, you're not going to believe what happened. Man, this guy spoke sternly to us. He accused us of being spies. And we said, no, we're we're the 10 sons of one father. And there's one son who's no more. And there's another son that's with our father. And he said, we have to bring Benjamin next time. And so that's the second round of, of testing. It's not only where's their heart, but how's their heart. And specifically, how's their heart toward Benjamin? How's their heart toward their brother who is also the son of Rachel? How's their heart? And it is the bringing Benjamin test. If you're coming back, you've got to bring Benjamin. If you want food from, from us, from me, from Egypt, out of all the, the, the story, uh, storing of food that we have, then you've got to bring Benjamin. And notice what happens. It's really kind of interesting that... As, as they think about bringing Benjamin, uh, in verse number three of chapter 43, Judah speaks and says, Dad, we can't go, basically, unless your brother is with us. But notice what Judah says in verse number eight of chapter 43. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, send Benjamin with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. I will guarantee with my life that he will return. The bringing Benjamin test. So they bring Benjamin back down. And as they're all now uh, 10 of them, they, they get there and the master says, or Joseph says to them, you need to go to my house and I'm going to have a meal with you. And so the master takes them to Joseph's house and the men, they're breaking out the money that was in their bags and say, look, we got back and the money was in our bags and, and along with the grain and we want to return the money and, and we don't know what's going on, but, but we're not spies and here's our brothers and Simeon's brought back out of jail and they're all uh, 11 together, and Joseph then comes back in. And we find that when Joseph comes back in, and in chapter 40, 43, in verse number 26, it says, Joseph came home, and they brought him the presents which was in their hand, and they bowed down before him. <gasps> they bowed the first time they came. Now they're bowing again. And they're trying to explain Joseph. And he asked them, is your father okay? And they said, our father is good. And then verse number 29, he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. He not only saw his brother Benjamin, but then he has a big party there at lunch with all of them. And for every plate of food he brings to Judah and Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Naphtali and Gad and Asher, he brings five plates of food to Benjamin. Every time he pulls out a dessert to each one of these guys, he brings five desserts to Benjamin. Makes you wish your name was Benjamin, don't it? Uh, 
So five times all of the food, he brings it to Benjamin. He's seeing and testing. How's their heart toward Benjamin? If I treat him better, if I'm nicer, if I'm kinder, if I'm more generous to Benjamin, what's, what are they going to do? And it says in the last verse of Genesis chapter 43, it gives the picture of, of how that all comes together when it says they took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs, so they drank and were merry with him. The bringing Benjamin test ended up, the result was celebration. There was no antagonism, there was no jealousy, there was no envy. They were just all glad and happy together. They were thrilled. How's their heart toward Benjamin? It seems to be lined up. There's no arrogance toward Benjamin. There's no jealousy and envy toward Benjamin. So he wants to find out where's their heart. Then he wants to find out how's their heart. But thirdly, he's going to offer one more test because he wants to know what's in their, uh, what's in their heart. As we, as we come to, to chapter 44, we find Joseph offers his third test. This is the Benjamin's life test. What Joseph does is after, after they have their celebration time, he fills their baskets back up with grain, or their bags up with grain again. He puts the money back in it, and he has his master take a silver cup and put it into Benjamin's basket, or his bag, and they all leave. And then, after they get out, not too far away, he sends his masters back after them, of the servants back after them. And they say, one of you has stolen from the second in command in all of Egypt? Who would have taken his silver cup? And, and, and the brothers are like, hey man, if it, none, none of us took the cup, man. We enjoyed the celebration. We brought back our money the first time when it was in there. And so from the oldest to the youngest, they start ripping open bags. They open, 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 open. They get to Benjamin and they open up the bag. And what happens next is life-changing for all of them. In Genesis chapter 44, we find that as they open up that basket of, of or that bag from Benjamin, it says in verse number 13, our verse, end of verse 12, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack and then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. And Judah and his brothers came to Joseph, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. This is the at least the third time. Now they're bowing before Joseph, and they fall before him, having ripped up their clothes. Isn't it interesting? They ripped Joseph's clothes off. Now when they find the cup, in Benjamin's sack, they ripped their clothes in mourning and repentance and in sorrow and in this deep, passionate moment when they realized that he could take Benjamin's life for this. And what does he see? Contrition, brokenness, repentance. Judah then speaks up again. And Judah comes to the place at the end of Genesis chapter 44 and verse 33. He says, please let your servant, your servant me, remain instead of the lad as a slave to the Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. What's happened this time? 
This time, it's not saying, man, we're going to kill him. We're going to take his robe. We're going to sell him as a slave. This time, it's, man, we're going to tear our clothes and we're broken and we're going to come down with mourning and repentance. And Judah is going to stand up and say, look, take me. Take my life. Let the boy go. Tough love. Joseph is examining their heart. But then we open up in Genesis 45 and we see this. True love reveals the heart. True love reveals the heart. I was on a Zoom call the other day with, uh, I was doing some financial uh, coaching and I was on there with some other coaches and, and they asked the, the question, what's your favorite movie? And people are writing down the dark night and one person wrote the notebook and I thought, dude, the notebook, I've never even seen the notebook. So anyway, actually I used this first hour. Someone brought me a copy of the notebook now and said, this is your next date night with your wife. So anyway, uh, the notebook. So I wrote down the princess bride. Okay. It's supposed to be this serious conversation. I write down the princess bride. But in the princess bride, what we find is two of the main characters have completely different motivations in life. Wesley is looking for Princess Buttercup. And you remember when he is mostly dead and goes to Miracle Max, Miracle Max asks him the question, what in this world is so worth living over? And he says, true love true love. There's another character in this movie whose name is Inigo Montoya, and his uh, whole life is built on one thing, revenge. When he was a child, someone killed his father, a man who had six fingers, and so he is, his life journey is to find the man, the six-fingered man. And his line in the movie is this, my name is, Mont- uh, my name is Montigo Mont- Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, Prepare to die. I mean, that is, that is it. His whole life is built on revenge. Now, Joseph, at this point in his life, can do anything he wants to this clan of 10 brothers. Now, 11 brothers with Benjamin. He can do whatever. If he wants vengeance on them, he can do it. He's second in command in all of Egypt. He doesn't even have to give an explanation. He can have them put in jail forever. He can have them killed. He can do whatever he wants with them. But instead of living a life filled with revenge, instead, he's going to reveal the depth of his heart. And the depth of his heart is his love for his brothers. Notice in Genesis chapter 45, and pick up with me in verse number one. And you can follow the verses on the screen. It says, then Joseph could not restrain himself after Judah said, look, take me, don't, don't let Benjamin take me, and, and it would be so sorry for my father to, to, to face all the sorrow. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So, No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. He is weeping so loudly, the people he has sent out of his house can hear him weep from outside. And it quickly stirs throughout the house of all of Pharaoh that Joseph is in this deep, deep, deep emotion of weeping so loudly, and they're trying to figure out what went on. And in verse number three, Joseph said... To his brothers, I 
am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Can you picture this moment? For 20 plus years, his brothers had not seen him. They did not recognize him. They didn't recognize his, his physical features. And you think, how did they not recognize that? Well, let me ask you this. If you are over 35 years old, if you take your high school yearbook from your junior or senior year, and then you look at your picture when you're 40 years old, is there any difference? Why do you think when you go to a reunion, you have to wear a name tag? You wear a name tag because you look different. His brothers didn't recognize him, but now he declares, I am Joseph, and they are dis- they are overwhelmed. They are overcome with emotion. We can't believe this. And what we find is the picture of true love. True love reveals the heart. So we get this picture in Joseph's life. True love reveals the heart. Now, what does true love do? Let me share four things quickly. First off, true love embraces the power of the moment. True love embraces the power of the moment. This moment is powerful. It it embraces this moment. Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, it is I, Joseph. And then, you know what he does? If you read the chapter, he calls him close to him and he hugs on him and he weeps on him. And around verse number 14, 15, he weeps on the neck of Benjamin and he brings all of his brothers in. This is a powerful moment. This is a moment of practical forgiveness. True love embraces the moment. All of us as parents have those moments with our kids that we have to embrace. Maybe it's moments of great victory in their life where you just need to take that moment and share your love. Maybe it's moments when they fail or they were faithless. And at that moment, you embrace that sense of true, unconditional love and you express it. It's powerful. Embrace the power of the moment. The power of the moment might be when your spouse is getting wheeled off into surgery and you need to say those, I love you. I'll be here when you're out. I'm pulling for you. I'm praying for you. It's the power of the moment. It's the power of the moment after going through a tragedy or trauma when someone comes alongside and says, man, I want you to know I love you and I'm here for you. It's the power of that moment. I'm afraid too many times, listen, in our culture, we miss the moment. We're on our phone. We're thinking about tomorrow. We're all uptight about everything going on around us. And we miss the moment. True love embraces the moment. Secondly, true love seeks reconciliation, not revenge. Joseph, at this point in his life, has the power to do anything that he wants with his brothers, but he seeks to reconcile. 
Notice with me as Joseph begins to speak to them in verse number four. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. We're going to capture this moment. So they came near and Joseph said, I am Joseph, your brother. Now notice he doesn't just let him off the hook. Whom you sold into Egypt. But not just dwelling on their sin. Notice what happens. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Notice over in verse number seven. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity. Notice in in verse number eight. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God and he has made me a father to Pharaoh. It is God sent me. God sent me. Look, there's something bigger than that's going on here. I want you to understand what you did was wrong, but I want you to embrace something bigger and something greater. I'm here to reconcile, to rekindle, to restart, not seek revenge. I want us to look to God and his grace and his favor and his providence, and I want to restart a relationship, not just build our life on what happened back there. Have you ever noticed it, when you're riding in the in the front seat of the car, your windshield is a lot bigger than your rear view mirror. Joseph is looking forward, not backward, which brings us to our third thought. That true love focuses on the future, not the past. Verse number nine, hurry and go up to my father and say, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. So what's going to happen? He's saying, look, I want you to come down and I want you guys to live with me and to be with me and I'm going to take care of you. And there's five more years of famine. So right now it has been 22 years since 17, age 30, seven good years, Two bad years, five more to go. Joseph is 39 years old. And he can do anything he wants. And he seeks reconciliation. He focuses on the future. We're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. What is it in your life that you... Just need to take a breath and let go of the retaliation and revenge toward the Benjamin or toward the Simeons and the Gads and the Naphtali's and the Ashers and the Dans and the Levi's and the Rubens. What what do you need to let go of and what do you need and how do you need to move forward? Joseph is not going to live in the past. He's aiming toward the future. And then we find that true love not only embraces the power of this moment and seeks reconciliation, not revenge, and focuses on the future, not the past, but we find that true love blesses others. True love blesses others. Notice what happens down all the way in verse number 25 of chapter 45. They went up out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. and He's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. 
And when they told him all the words which Joseph had said, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. He is blessed. He is revived. My son is alive. And not only is he alive, how do you think they told him this story? Dad, when we brought that robe home, we really, Joseph really didn't die out in the wilderness. We sold him as a slave. But now he wants you to come and live with him in Egypt. And Jacob's heart is like, my son, I've missed him so. My son, second in command in Egypt. My son, the one who would forgive his brothers and show grace. True love blesses others. I, I love to watch an older couple who are holding hands walking down the road. That just blesses me. I just love to see that. I love to see new parents with a, their first newborn. That just, that just blesses me to see. It, it just blesses, it blesses others. And as parents, the greatest blessing that we can offer our family is for husbands to love their wives and wives to love their husbands. It blesses the family. And so what we find here is as, it's not just that Joseph is alive, but Joseph's love and grace and forgiveness, invitation to come. And take care of them. True love blesses others. And because of this true love, you sit here today blessed. For out of the family that Joseph saved, that brother Judah who was willing to say, look, take me and let me stand in Joseph's place so he can go free. There was one from the tribe of Judah who would come and he would live a perfect life and he would walk among his people, but he would be rejected by them. He would show kindness and do miracles. He would preach and teach the kingdom of God and show people that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But being rejected by others, he was put on a cross But even on that cross, he offered forgiveness to those that were around him. And he offers it to us today. For Jesus, that one from the tribe of Judah, offers us forgiveness of all the things that we have ever done. He's the one who will stand in our place and take the punishment that God has for us because we've broken his laws. And that one from the tribe of Judah would die on the cross and then rise from the dead and offer the opportunity for us to live with him forever and to take care of us eternally. True love blesses. And the true love that Joseph showed here is still blessing us today. Do you know that you've been forgiven of your sin? Do you know that if you die today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know that someone's taken care of your eternity and your standing before God? The Bible declares that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father 
but through him. And that one from the tribe of Judah, saved by Joseph here, that that Judah, his brother, would ultimately come to save all of us. Have you received him? And with that, I'm going to ask you to take a moment and let's pray together. For some of you today, you don't know that you have been forgiven of your sin. And the Bible, and God wants you to know that there's one who would stand in your place and take his punishment. He would be a substitute for you. Some of you today need to embrace that sense of true love in your life. Maybe somewhere along the way, your heart has grown cold. You've gotten off course. And you just need to be refreshed by God's love being reminded of the forgiveness that he's given you, being reminded of how you have offended him because of your sinful and disobedient actions and how he would unconditionally forgive you and just walk in that forgiveness and love again. If there's something that you need to let go of, just as Joseph did as we looked at last week with Manasseh choosing to forget, Ephraim choosing to be fruitful. Here, Joseph, that true love reveals itself. Where are you at today? If God's speaking to you, would you say yes to him? Lord, I pray that you would take uh, these moments as we just have this time of reflection and that we would just be in awe of our amazing Savior, the Lord Jesus, the one from the tribe of Judah who would come and live a perfect life and die for us, rise again, live in us, and secure us for eternity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that through Joseph you teach us to forgive and you teach us to bless and you teach us to love. So help us to shine before others, that they may see, know, experience the love of Jesus through us to them, that they may be blessed in your name.